Well, welcome back to the Is4 podcast, where each week here at Danger and Sarge like to break down a different letter of the alphabet and uh, kind of dissect that subject. So uh, joining me tonight is Mr. G, Baby G, not Mr. Big G. There are so many variations at this point. I don't even just, I feel like a, a Bond villain. I'm just G. Now, if you were to actually turn around in your chair and be rubbing a cat, I know you've got a cat. I'm as shocked as you are that there is not a cat currently in my lap because out of the three of them, there's usually one in here. The lack of cat in us doing these is actually astounding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so this week, Sarge is not with us, but we are here. And tonight we are going to talk about... Tonight we are doing In is for Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. This was the first zombie George Romero picture, right? It was. It was. It came out on October 2nd, 1968. What's interesting is a lot of people credit Night of the Living Dead as being kind of the first real zombie film. And that's not necessarily true, but it is the one that has sort of bled into pop culture the most. The zombies that George Romero created, when we think of the word zombie, those are the zombies we think about. Now, I don't want to get too far off topic just yet, but you say it was not the first zombie movie. How far before? So if you want to really be like, you know, cynical about it, you can say all the way back into like the 1920s and 30s with Nosferatu and you know, the undead and, and that kind of stuff. But that's obviously more like vampires and stuff. I feel like Nosferatu um, was... Yeah, it, I mean, that's that's what he was. Really, it, it kind of got started in the 50s. The 50s, kind of the atomic age, were mostly big, goofy monster movies. But that was when some of the zombie stuff started to kind of get rolling. However, back before Ramiro kind of... I don't want to say Americanized the zombie, but before Ramiro kind of put his spin on it, most zombie films were actually centered around voodoo. Yes. They were most, yeah, they mostly took place on like tropical islands where a witch doctor would basically gain control over, you know, turn some people into slaves. It had nothing to do with reanimated corpses or the dead coming back to life. It was people basically being hypnotized and taking control of. Well, I mean, before that, there was, you know, they were basing it all off of um, any sort of reality that they could. You know, they took this idea mm-hmm. of zombies. Right? Mm-hmm. One of the only, quote unquote, uh, religions that reanimated. So what's what's kind of interesting about Night of the Living Dead for me is that um, everybody who's listened to at least one episode of this show knows I'm a huge horror movie buff and it's kind of my, my specialty. As you um, wear your it hat. Yes, yes. The first horror movie I ever remember really seeing, like straight up horror film, not just like, you know, movie like scary movies, but like a legit horror film was Dawn of the Dead, which is Ramiro's second zombie film uh, that came out in 1978. Now, my dad is the one who turned me on to these movies. He basically approached it by saying, hey, would you like to see a movie that was filmed right near where I grew up? And I said, sure. And my little eight, nine-year-old self had no idea that Dawn of the Dead was going to be what it was. And I witnessed people get ripped in half and chewed on and blown up. And I loved every second of it. <laughs> I, had a, uh, I had a similar experience with Predator 2. Not so much that it was filmed by 
you know, where my uh, my mm-hmm. dad grew up, but he he said, hey, I have a movie I want to show you. And then we watched Predator <laughs> 2, which later in life I learned was the lesser <laughs> of the Predators at the time. But, hot take, hot take. I saw Predator 2 before I saw Predator, about yeah. the same age. I was way too young to see it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's better than the first one. But I think I actually like it better than the first one. I think that I liked it better just given my experience with it. But I don't think it was a better movie by any means. No. Although no. it does go a long way. Gary Busey goes a long way. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and for the record, a little Busey is all you need. It's, yeah. it's it's like a really strong seasoning. You only sprinkle it in. You can't just lead with that. You see, it's like cumin. You don't put, overload it. <laughs> so so I saw Dawn of the Dead before I saw Night of the Living Dead. And for people that don't know, the, the distance between 68 and 78 and the amount of violence and gore that they, they upped by Dawn of the Dead, it was a drastic difference. Going back and watching Night of the Living Dead, it seemed a little bit slow at first. But now that I've gotten older and I've seen it probably, I don't know, at least a dozen times, probably more than that, I can appreciate it for what it really is. And in in my mind, and I think in most, not just horror film fans, but like just cinema, you know, fans in general, consider it, yeah, consider it one of the seminal (coughs) films of the 60s. especially in the horror genre, but just in general, what they did on the small amount of budget they had. And it really reinvented a lot of the horror genre moving forward. Which I actually watched just the other day and I watched it before this. Um, I thought it was interesting that in this world where zombies are not a thing, that's what mm-hmm. is set in this world. Not real, nobody's ever seen. Um, can't remember their names, but the man and the woman go to visit her mom's grave, I believe it is. And Barbara he, and Johnny. Right. So Barbara and Johnny go to visit their, uh, her mother's grave. And he is acting and talking like a zombie. Like, it's already known what it is, but then later it's talked about it's zombies aren't known, you know? So that was kind of strange that she was acting out, but maybe he was just going off. Well, so he sort of <coughs> like, he's he's coming at her and he says, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah. And it, it I mean, it's just kind of a, a scary kind of dialogue however what is very interesting and and people who you know like me who nitpick the shit out of this stuff will notice is that the first zombie that approaches the the two of them in the cemetery is pretty fast moving yes and, Um, and very aggressive very aggressive he even picks up a rock and uses it like a tool right as the the zombies increase in volume there, there's none of that. They are shambling idiots. When Zack Snyder made Dawn of the Dead, um, I yeah, remember the watching. Remake. I remember, yeah, the remake. We were watching an interview with George Romero where he said, "My zombies will never run," which it's true. In none of his movies ever run, but that first zombie is a bit quicker, and I would like to think a little more intelligent that it's using a rock. And there's some thought to the theory of. That zombie, the first one they come across, which before we go any further, let me just say the word zombie never comes up in Night of the Living Dead. Yes. They are referred to as ghouls. But that first one that is seen, some people believe that it was early on in the infection or the turning or whatever. So he was 
fresher, quote unquote, than the ones that you see a couple days later as they start to descend on the house and everything. Yes, which uh, actually um, was something I'm curious about. When is the first time the word zombie is ever used? I would I would say it has to have been used in one of those movies from like the 40s. The first one that I remember, and I'll, I'll Google the date, is White Zombie starring Vincent Price. Yeah. That's the first one that I can think of. Um, and that came out, uh, let's see, so hard to find because of the stinking band. Uh, 1932. And I feel like that was probably the first time the word zombie was used in, in film. But don't quote me on that. Yeah. I, it could have easily popped up somewhere else. Right, right. I I have no idea. So one of the things that's really interesting about Night of the Living Dead, <coughs> um, it was actually, I mean, you talk about like low budget, B films, whatever. This movie was made for $114,000. Which actually what I was going to say when I was talking about the scene, Barbara and Johnny go, when, uh, when the zombie does come out and Johnny kind of gets all the situation, but yet he's not at all because then zombie falls forward with Johnny underneath him and Johnny hits his head on a rock and it is quite clearly not a real person. One of the worst. Now here's the thing. When it came out in 1968 and it's grainy and black and white and yeah. But now that we've got ultra HD 4K transfers, I mean, it literally looks like they took a stuffed animal of a human being and threw him at a rock. It is. It's pretty silly. And uh, I mean, have you seen the uh, the colorized version of it? Because I haven't actually watched the colorized all the way through. I've watched the black and white. I used to have the black and white. So interesting you would bring that up because. Night of the Living Dead, there was a copyright issue, and they did not copyright yeah. the film. So it is public domain. Oh, yeah. No, it's it all over YouTube, like full movie. The one I actually yeah. bought was was the really slim DVD case. Uh-huh. I think I bought it at Walmart for like a dollar. I, I So I bought like a really nice collector's edition, and then I also have purchased like some of those like nine films, 30 film, 50 yeah. film like boxes. And it's always in there oh, yeah. because it's, it, it doesn't cost them anything to throw it in there. And it's a classic. I think I um, picked up a, uh, like 80 movies, uh, like yeah, 80 yeah. drive-in movies. And it was a bunch of, uh, like a thick DVD case, but it was like a bunch of DVDs, like stuffed in like paper sleeves. And it I was have in two there. Of those. <laughs> Yeah, I mean those those movies were always great for throwing on the background while you're trying to like yeah. while you're, you're trying to do stuff in the house or whatever. And then, if you're having like a like a little Halloween get together with your yeah. friends and stuff, and you're all like drinking and goofing off, you but know, on a shitty just, horror movie in the background. Yeah. So the colorized version, uh, me personally, the black and white gives it a little darker feel to it, and I find that it's far more effective. Now, however. I think the black yeah. and white kind of hides some of the bad like effects. Yeah. You know, yeah. And and it helps to pull you into it. And and I'm I've been a fan of black and white movies for a long time. Just the yeah. artistic side of it and kind of black and white pictures even just what they actually sure. lend. I think they, they I think the black and white movie, the black and white version actually just kind of hides some of the bad details. In the colorized version it pops out. You can't miss it. You can't miss it that was a stuffed animal that hit a rock. Right. Right. And, and that was a choice because this film came out in 1968. Color films were had been going on for a few years now. They 
purposely chose to leave it black and white. Now, people like you and I, and I think most people that are, you know, have a decent IQ can sit through a black and white movie and appreciate it for what it is. But but I know there are some people, especially younger people who just black and white, they can't deal with it. Instead of trying to watch the colorized version, the 1990 remake by Tom Savini starring Tony Todd, who played Candyman. Now, Ben from the 1968 Night of the Living Dead, uh, he was played by a guy named Dwayne Jones. Now, for anybody who's not seen the film or just not real familiar with this whole universe, Dwayne Johnson is an African-American man. And at the time, casting the leading man in this film as as a man of color was seen as fairly controversial. Oh, yeah. And then not only have him be the main character, but also be the hero. Right. Yeah. And not just he, the, not the, the horror trope of the first character that dies is the black guy. Oh, right, right. Yeah. No, he's he's the the main man. He controls the whole situation. And up until his his dying days, which for, again, those of you who don't know, George Romero passed away in July of 2017. He swears up and down that that was never his intention, that Dwayne Johnson was just the guy that came in and read the part and just really knocked it out of the park. And Romero might be telling the truth. Um, Romero may have just been looking for an actor that fit the part, and that actor happened to be a black man. and, And again, that's what Romero says, but it is impossible to overlook the social implications of having a, a black lead in that kind of a role at that right. time in America. How many how many movies had Romero made before? And this is and I'm really not familiar with Romero's entire catalog of work. Was he mm-hmm. at least an established filmmaker at this point? He had made some films, but you I, I wouldn't necessarily call him established. How what was the budget you said? Like 160 bucks? <laughs> Basically. Uh a hundred and 14,000. Yeah. Okay. But so a very low budget movie. And I would think that if he was established, then he probably would have gotten a bigger budget. So this was, so this was an indie movie. It was. And actually now that I'm looking at it, night of the living dead was his first feature film. He had done uh, a short and I think he had shot some, some like local like commercials and stuff, but that was his first feature length film. And so he, after that, he, he didn't jump right back into zombies. He kind of started to, he started to do other things. A uh, uh, couple of other movies that he did. There's one that's really good that came out in 73 called The Crazies. And then also in 77, he did one called Martin that uh, is also really well known and, and really well regarded. And after that is when he did uh dawn of the dead which came out in 1978 uh it's it's very interesting to see the jump in just everything to go from night the living dead to dawn of the dead i'm I'm trying to see here i want to say the budget for dawn of the dead six hundred and fifty thousand. okay so, so dawn of the dead wasn't that much no more. i mean in budget mm-hmm. in movie budget terms it really wasn't that much or he probably didn't garner that much esteem with with the movies that he had, and I would venture to say that people really didn't see Dawn of the Dead until a- or uh, 
Night of the Living Dead until after they saw Dawn of the Dead and were like, holy shit, this guy is doing something crazy. And they, and then that's probably so, where the copyright. So Night of the Living Dead, when it came out, up until this point, horror, quote unquote, horror films were mostly relegated to Saturday morning matinee, big old monster movies, um, stuff made on the cheap for a couple of, of jump scares, and that was the end of it. And you did have people like Alfred Hitchcock and Psycho and The Birds. He was he was getting it there. But, but Night, Night of the Living Dead is a lot more visceral. There's a lot more... It, it's it's smart. There's a social commentary to every single one of Romero's films, even the later ones that are a little that are a little janky. Um, it's always been in there. But when Night of the Living Dead first came out, it was uh, it blew people away. Like the the critics who did go and see it had some pretty some pretty crazy stuff to say about it. Okay, I know you've got, so, some, I know you've got some quotes. You haven't told me. Yes, pretty curious to. Hear. So just just to uh, acknowledge my sources here, um, I am a, a bit of a horror movie aficionado, I guess. So a lot of this stuff is just stuff I kind of knew over Did the years. Did you just name yourself? In a I think so. That's okay, right? But to acknowledge my source here, I have this really great book called Book of the Dead by uh, Jamie Russell that I got, gosh, probably – 15, 20 years ago, I was carrying around in my book bag in middle school showing people. Um, Not surprised. And, <laughs> and uh, of course, there's a, a, a nice long section about Night of the Living Dead. And it, just two little articles I want to read real quick. So when it first came out, this is what uh, Variety magazine had to say. Until the Supreme Court establishes clear-cut guidelines for the pornography of violence, Night of the Living Dead will serve nicely as an outer limit definition by example. In a mere 90 minutes, this horror film, unintended, casts serious aspirations on the integrity and social responsibility of its Pittsburgh-based makers, distributors, and the film industry as a whole who book this picture, as well as raising doubts about the future of the regional cinema movement and about the moral health of filmgoers who cheerfully opt for this unrelieved orgy of sadism. No brutalizing stone is left unturned. Crowbars gash holes in the heads of the living dead. People are shot in the head or through the body, blood gushing from their back. Bodies are burned. Monsters are shown eating entrails. On no level is the unrelieved grossness of Night of the Living Dead disguised by a feeble attempt at art or significance i love it that is a <laughs> like i mean that so here's it, the thing it, it's that's a rough given where we are now and what horror movies and, and oh stuff exactly is now, that that really they're that means nothing they're they're their standards are way out of whack but this was a long time 1968 ago. yeah right and and just like some other classic horror films that we've talked about before, the first one coming to mind is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A lot of what this writer said they saw does not happen. They just remember seeing it because it's implied and it's implied so well. One more quote, and this I think kind of ties into the conversation we had a few minutes ago about horror films at that time. Um, this is one that Roger Ebert wrote 
right after he saw the film. Which now, and, now the thing that I find interesting about Roger Ebert is Roger Ebert is one of the few critics that I know of. So he's and generally one of the few critics I know of in movies, but um, one of the few critics that will change their opinion of the movie based on cultural impact. Like I know that his his first review of first Jackass movie, scathing. His review of the second Jackass movie that was way worse than the first one was yeah. very pleasant. Like he would gave it two thumbs up and whatnot. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I don't have a lot of respect for Roger Ebert. Yeah, and and rest in peace, but he never ever gave horror films a fair shake. No, he um and maybe later on in life he would have said something nicer about Night of the Living Dead. I think George Romero's impact on not just horror film, but cinema in general is undeniable. So I feel like he would appreciate Night of the Living Dead. But here's the quote that he had right after seeing it. I want to ask you a question about what you just said. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. The kids in the audience were stunned. There were almost complete silence. The movie had long ago stopped being delightfully scary and had become unexpectedly terrifying. A little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, was sitting very still in her seat and crying. I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. They'd seen horror movies before, but this was something else. This was ghouls eating people. You could actually see what they were eating. This was little girls killing their mothers. This was being set on fire. Worst of all, nobody got out alive. I felt real terror in the neighborhood theater. I saw kids who had no sources they could draw on to protect themselves from the dread and fear they felt. Okay, well, a couple things on his review is a he was number two. Um, <laughs> I, I I beg to differ on the nobody got out alive because there were people that were alive at the end that were cleaning up. The, none of the heroes and none of the main main group got out alive. They all died. Yeah, and and I. Whenever we talk about films like this, it's always tricky because I tend to err on the side of no spoilers. But this is a film from the 60s that is public domain. If you haven't seen it, it's your own damn fault. You can literally Google this and you'll find 50 things you can stream in perfect HD quality. No, none of the main guys get out alive. And that was another big point of controversy. Spoilers going forward. You haven't picked it up right now. They're all dead. Probably yeah. in real and, life too. And again, that was a shocking ending because, um, you know, since we're already here, I'll just jump right all over it. But basically, by the end of the film, Ben, the, the main uh, protagonist, they have boarded up this house. They have survived the night. They are, you know, he is ready to, to go out and, and face the world. And as soon as he opens the door, a human shoots him straight in the head. Which I've always thought was an interesting choice that the, basically the last remaining survivor of the group, which as I said before in a a classic horror trope now is that the black man dies first, but he was the last surviving member. And then he was killed almost trying to survive for what he was killed by. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the social commentary of the movie part of it. Yeah, and that's in that sort of all of Ramiro's films, especially the the Dead series that he did. Every one of them has some sort of social implication, 
and Night of the Living Dead. And this has been carried on in things like The Walking Dead and, and other um, zombie-related media, um, is that it's not the zombies or the ghouls that are the real threat. Right. It's you can humanity. dispatch, yeah, you can dispatch a group of shambling, brain-dead idiots, but it's the ones that are losing their minds, that have lost their families, that are losing control those are the scary ones those are the ones that you have to be afraid of well in regards to that i think it's trying to make control well sure yeah yeah um and because it's and always the ones that are trying to maintain hold that are with it yeah and that's and that's a huge part of ramiro's original dead trilogy so Romero did six dead films and they're kind of broken up into two separate trilogies. It's six. Um, I always thought it was four, five, but six. So he did, uh, night of the living dead in 68 dawn of the dead in 78 and day of the dead in 85. And those three, they're not, they're not sequential in the sense that they follow the same characters or the same stories or anything like that. But kind of all in the same of, universe. Now I've seen of. a few of them. I believe I saw a Diary of the Dead. That he also did. It's all like a found footage sort of deal. So, so those three films, Night, Dawn, and Day, are. I mean, none of them are perfect, but as far as like zombie horror films go, they're they're damn close. All three of them are great for different reasons. Um, and I'd highly recommend watching all of them at least twice because there's always the, when you watch these movies the first time, you're going to be so overwhelmed with the blood and the gore and the, the scares. The second and third time is when you really pick up on the deeper meanings of everything. Which I um, saw, I watched the original Dawn Dead after I saw the remake in theaters. Uh -huh. This is when I was still learning and finding out about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went and saw the original, or the remake of Dawn of the Dead in theater. I was like, wow, that was really cool. I really enjoyed yeah. that. And then I watched the original one, and I was like, ah, that's not as good. But I've come to appreciate it far more now. So yeah. What, you know, years since then. So. And, and in all fairness, the Dawn of the Dead remake is is superior to most horror remakes. Which, it that's is. a Zack Snyder movie. And didn't he do another remake that's coming out soon of a George? No, the but he is. No, but Army of the Dead is, I, I don't know a lot about it, but it, I, I think it's going to pay a lot of homage to Ramiro. Um, it's not a remake. It's its own uh, original IP. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, um, so then in 2005, Ramiro returned to um, the zombie world with Land of the Dead. And, yeah, um, wasn't that the one with um, John Leguizamo? Yeah, and uh, it, it's it's the Smarter first time. Zombies. Yes, the first time the zombies, uh, outside of the very first one in Night of the Living Dead, who picked up a rock to smash a window. Um, this is the first time they started picking up items to use them. Now, in Dawn and Day, there are moments where. 
the zombies are learning and trying to figure things out. Day of the Dead, that's a whole kind of subplot of that one. Um, but Land is when they pick up a okay, gun, right? Yeah, they pick up uh, tools and weapons, and they they don't know exactly what to do with them, but you can see the wheels turning. Um, it's a little heavy-handed with the social commentary. Yeah. It's um, it's a little bit too on the nose. Um, but it but was it's still... I, it was more on the nose for at the time, more so than it is now. Even though it does still apply, it it kind it, it kind of does. It, it does. It doesn't apply as much as it did then. But it's still. You're right. I I watched it about two years ago. Um, for, yeah. I don't know. I've seen it before that, but I watched it again about two years ago. And even then, like, okay, come on. Yeah, we, we like, get it. We get it. We. So when I say you need to watch the original three at least twice, that's because there's a lot of subtext. There's a lot of under the surface. Um, Land of the Dead says, "Hey, this is what we're talking about, and we're gonna beat you over the head with it for an hour and a half." Doesn't doesn't try to hide it. <laughs> no, and and I hate to say this because. I love George Romero. I, I think he did a, a what he did for the horror genre. It cannot be measured. Um, but he did two more after Land of the Dead, and that was Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. Never saw and, Survival of the Dead. Did watch Diary. All found footage security. Which at some of the shots, it's like, why is there security? So Diary of the Dead had a good idea but it it the execution on that is atrocious and yeah. i have tried so hard to go back and appreciate it i actually found footage films as i've gotten older i find myself enjoying them a lot more i feel like there's a level of realism to them that you don't get out of a lot of other horror films um but diary of the dead does everything wrong a found footage film can do it's it's just bad um, well, I mean, every great director has. And, and unfortunately, Ramiro has a few. Um, and Tarantino has. I, I love Tarantino, and yeah, oh, that's I, not one I can right, justify I, too well. <laughs> right, I, I love some Tarantino as well, and he'll even say that was his. So I think the takeaway here is that George Ramiro changed the game when it came to to horror films and specifically the zombie genre um without night of the living dead uh you wouldn't have the walking dead you wouldn't have dead rising you wouldn't have resident evil you wouldn't have any of these huge well-known zombie properties that you know we know and love today so would you say that he changed um this is actually going back to something that or would you say he actually changed uh, filmmaking, or would you say that he changed uh, the horror genre? I personally, on a personal level, I think it's filmmaking in general because the special effects and the blood and the gore and the realism that that uh, Ramiro put into those low budget films, like because that's the thing. Like, think about movies that came out just a few years later. Um, let's use Jaws, for example. That was the original summer blockbuster. Yes, it was. And actually, one of the, and, you know, maybe later we'll do Jay is for Jaws. 
moment. But um, yes, it was the original summer blockbuster, and it actually did a good job of instilling fear in people. Like I still know people. Jaws, but one of the things that gave Jaws its signature look was the fact that the shark would break down. They had to right. improvise, and Steven Spielberg was like, "Okay, let's just do a first-person type shot and just run the camera in the water." So, well, I was just going to say, obviously, shambling extras with dark makeup and and playing with like pig intestines and stuff—that's not super expensive. When you try to get a giant mechanical shark in the ocean, that's obviously going to cost a lot more money. But think about this for a second: a hundred and fourteen thousand dollars. To make Night of the Living Dead. The budget for Jaws was $7 million. Now, again, that's not a ton of money by today's standards. Yeah, at the time it was budget. At the time it was. And so Dawn of the Dead came out in 78. And there are some big set pieces, you know, just taking over that mall and everything. Which, by the way, I have been to that mall. Um Looks nothing like it did back in the movie. Wasn't it? Cool wasn't to, it supposed? Yeah. To, wasn't it like scheduled for? Dim- uh, that I don't know. You might be right. Yeah, um, I had heard that it was scheduled for demolition, so that so George Romero was able to get it on the cheap, and then that actually rekindled the interest in the mall and that area. What was it? Pittsburgh? Uh, Monroeville, um, technically, but yeah, right outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, because Romero is is basically from Pittsburgh, and all of these films, well, I I won't say that because eventually he started shooting in in Canada because it's cheaper. But yeah. Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead were both filmed right in that near Pittsburgh. Um, well, that was still close to uh, well, as we know, Night of the Living Dead. But then Dawn of the Dead was still close to the beginning of his film career. And mm-hmm. at that time, you know, well, everybody for their first few movies before they get major funding to film in the local area of, of right, their home. Right. I mean, it's A, more affordable, B, you friends of the movies, things like that. Right, exactly. It, it's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, let's see, it was Butler County, Pennsylvania is where they shot most of Night of the Living Dead. It's a very, like, rural area, so they were, they were able to kind of spread out, and then uh, Dawn of the Dead, Monroeville Mall, it's, it's, you know, much more claustrophobic, like, you know, and and it's funny if if you are correct, which I believe you probably are, uh, about the whole demolition thing. The subtext to Dawn of the Dead is consumerism, yeah. and you know the need to buy things and stuff. So, so you truly believe that he had a impact on horror movies, not just film as a whole. Which it's hard for me to get behind the idea. Um, I can't agree that he did have an impact on horror movies. But you start talking about Jaws. You were using Jaws as an example. Now, I would say that, if anything, because, of course, I was not around at the time that Dawn of the Dead came out, but I assume mm-hmm. that he did not keep secrets of how he made the movies and did the effects, um, and he actually put those out there. So if anything, I were to say that he was able to show us how to use uh, props and things to a, a better standard and get more of an effect out of them, what other way did he the especially in his the beginning era from about 68 when night of the living dead came out to about 85 to where well maybe even 88 because that's when monkey shines came out and monkey shines is another really good movie that one of his that, 
Uh, Monkey Shines is a really interesting movie about a a guy who's wheelchair bound uh, who has like a helper monkey and they kind of have like this psychic connection and it's it's, a, it's really out there. But, maybe I did but, see that. But, but I don't, that I don't time, know that I said I'd ever watched that movie, but maybe I did. Right. But, but during that time is when he did The Crazies, which was uh, a, a whole thing about biological warfare. Uh, he did Creep Show with Stephen King, which is considered one of the I, I in, in a lot of people minds probably top twenty five horror movies of all time. Probably I didn't know that he did uh, that, but it's not surprising that he- him and Stephen King uh, are actually really good buddies. Um, now that was when Stephen together. King that was at the height of Stephen. Yes, I mean- in a matter of fact, if you want to see what cocaine can do to you, watch Creep Show, specifically the the segment starring Stephen King, where he plays like this country bumpkin with like grass oh, yeah. and stuff growing all over him. Oh boy, he yeah. is. So I have to assume that he doing it up. Probably, probably. Yeah. And, and and I mean, maybe I'm just giving him a lot of credit because I, I do have a lot of sentimental love for Ramiro and, and a lot of his films. But to me, whether you're talking about horror or just cinema in general, being able to tell a really good story in the midst of whatever genre you're in is, is not always easy to do because I feel like a good scary movie doesn't just scare you. There's something else going on. And Ramiro is one of the, in in my opinion, one of the best at that. He was able to make these zombie movies that people go to that if they don't want to think they can turn their head off, they can see the blood and the guts and have a good time. But if they actually pay attention there's a lot being said during these films. And I think that's something a lot of filmmakers, even the really good ones, haven't quite mastered. Well, I think that there's the really good filmmakers that are just good at one solid thing. Then there's the other ones that all the other things, the subplots, the what are we right. really saying here? George Romero did have a good doing that. He had a good, yeah. he was really good at storytelling. And, and that's one of the things that really gets me about a lot of, where we have standards for who's good and who's bad as far as directors go, my favorite directors are also the writers. It's usually a person that's writing and directing. It's usually the one that's putting a little bit more what their characters are saying and whatnot. Right. And it just it gets missed by a lot of people who just kind of want to, like you said, turn your brain off. Yeah. And Romero doesn't... I wouldn't say that he lets you turn your brain off. A dire, or uh, Land of the Dead, he doesn't let you turn your brain off and he puts it right there in your face. But, yeah. but Romero wrote and directed his movies, or he right. was at least one of the writers on it, which I right. think makes a big difference. Of course, yeah, it, when you do that, when you are the writer, you're in a little bit more control of the direction that you're going and, and like I said, I mean, just like, you know, any other great um, director, especially when it comes to genre, especially when it comes to horror, you're going to have some some classics and you're going to have some stinkers and George Romero is no different. He had some some absolute classics that go down as the best the horror genre has to offer and then he's got a few that I can't even recommend to watch out of sheer curiosity because right. they're just they're just weak. So, like I said, maybe I'm just giving him a little more credit because I'm a little sentimental. Um I really appreciated uh what he did for, you know, not just the zombies and stuff, but sort of furring my love of horror films. Yeah. And I think he was good for that for a lot of, 
you know, I think it was good for kind of bringing that to light. He didn't give yeah. me my love for horror movies, but he did definitely open that up. I think actually the first, yeah. the first actual horror movie, if you will, I actually saw was Black and White Frankenstein, which Ooh. my dad showed it to us, uh, us being my brother. Yeah, I would just say to wrap things up that that if if you've never seen the original Dead trilogy, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, highly recommend them. If you're squeamish, they're going to be a little tough to get through, but they're phenomenal films. I, I think that if you're a squeamish person, probably watch these because the effects are outdated at this point. And, I guess that's true. And I don't think the effects really hold up, even though it was pig intestine. Uh, what was after Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead? Um, yeah. I think that was actually barbecue. Uh, you know, I've read so much about these movies that sometimes I'm not sure which film is, yeah. you know, what happened on what set. But some of that stuff is literally like room temperature buckets of animal intestines. And they're like, OK, guys, and throw it on the floor and they start crawling through it and biting on it. And yeah, I'm sure some people had some tummy aches. So sure. the biggest takeaway that I've taken from. <laughs> that it was a health code nightmare. It would have been health code nightmare, ratings board nightmare. Ramiro was a rebel man. He yeah. didn't care. Hey, maybe that's what we should call it, the healthcare nightmare. <laughs> the, uh, oh, health code. <laughs> All right, there you go. Cool. There Which you go. actually, my theory is that if they come out with another solo Deadpool, uh, Deadpool film, it would be called the Dead Trilogy. Oh, okay. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um. For N, this has been Night of the Living Dead, which mm -hmm. was more of a Romero conversation. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. All right, G, say goodbye. Goodbye. All right, bye, everybody. <laughs>